You know, here we are in the month of January, and for this month I prayed, and I prayed diligently as we got to this month, that both collectively and individually, that we might get a fresh start in our walk with God and ministry for us. Thus you see the sign, fresh start. I want to speak a word to the younger generation. Even though you consider me part of the older clan, here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be stuck, and I don't want us as a church to be stuck. My heart is for us to move together forward into that direction and that country that is only defined by a walk of faith. Now, I've been thinking about this concept of being stuck for a while, and I'm reminded a couple of years ago, went home to see Dad before he went and assisted living, and we're sitting in the house, and he said, Son, I got my tractor stuck down in the woods. And I'm thinking he and my brother and I can go down there with one of the trucks and pull it out, right? Wrong. Well, my dad, Troy, he's a watch. When my dad does something, he does it right. We go down there to the tractor. And if you know anything about those tractors, you have those big rear wheels. And here's the truth. The belly of the tractor was sitting on the ground. The wheels could spin in that mud because it couldn't get any traction. We did not have enough horsepower to get him out of being stuck. Ultimately, his brother, who owns a body shop and has this big wrecker, had to come down and winch him out. Now, I want you to think about that principle. Anytime you get stuck, it requires enormous effort to get you out. All too often, people get stuck. They get stuck in, their, in a bad job. They get stuck in a bad financial situation. They get stuck emotionally. Something happens in their life and they never process it and they just kind of stop right there. They get stuck in a bad marriage or some other relationship. And you know what happens when you get stuck and you don't have any real help? You feel trapped. And you feel like there's no way out. From time to time... Congregations, churches, and Christ followers get stuck. We don't get stuck just practically speaking. We get stuck spiritually. And it is very easy to get stuck spiritually. I can tell you. Hello? I'd be the poster boy for getting stuck. How does it happen? What are we talking about? Well, go ahead. Last week, I called on us to pray first. There you go, to pray first. In fact, if you were not here last week, we passed out some prayer hands, and we still have some more, and we'd be glad to get you yours. And, and my, my call, my challenge to us is to wear these prayer hands. You've probably seen several people wearing them, on, wearing them this morning. For some people, it's in their washing machine today because they wore them this week, and they washed them. Now, in case you think I'm picking on you, mine's been washed three times in the last six weeks, and it seems to be holding up okay. But my call is that every time you see a set of prayer hands, that you whisper a prayer. And not just a prayer, a shallow prayer, but I'm talking about a prayer for God's 
work. But here's what I want to tell you. We call us to pray first. The reason that I've given you this little symbol is because how easy is it for us not to pray? It's, it's easy to go a whole day and go, oh, yeah, God, I forgot to pray to you today. And when we don't pray, we will find ourselves stuck in a spiritual bog. We will find ourselves wondering how in the world do I get out of where I am? How do I get out of this spiritual bog? And here's what I want to tell you. The amount of effort, the amount of energy, the amount of force required to get you out of the bog is directly proportional to how deeply you are entrenched in a bog. When you're deeply entrenched in a bog, it takes a lot of, like that big, here's the deal, that little pickup truck Daddy had wouldn't pull his tractor out. But that big winch would pull him out. So I come to this and I ask this question. And this is a rhetorical question. For goodness sakes, don't answer it out loud. Is anybody in this building find yourself stuck spiritually? I mean... Are you closer to God? Are you walking with God more? Do you hear God's voice more today? Are you more sensitive to his call today than you were, say, six months ago? And if I were to put that out there, everybody would go, yeah, yeah, I think I am. Well, good. What's the evidence? What's the evidence? For you see, you don't walk with divine, holy, creator, powerful God and not be changed. Doesn't happen. I began meet, kind of meditating on this subject about being stuck spiritually because I read an article from a friend. And he suggested, are you listening? He suggested that the reason of the way a church can become stuck, that would be plateaued or declining. The way a church can become stuck is by the church members, that would be you and me, not growing in our walk with Christ. And for whatever reason, just kind of get bogged down. By the way, if you're bogged down and you think that Brother Jerry is picking on you, let me, let me just give you a little secret. Nobody ever gets bogged down on purpose. There's not a person here that's ever taken your car, your tractor, your four-wheeler. Sorry about that, Adam. And gone out and just said, I'm going to get my vehicle stuck. Now, maybe you tried something you shouldn't have tried and you got stuck. But it's the same way in your spiritual life. And as we have approached this month, and I've thought about us getting a fresh start spiritually, my hope and desire is that it will not be a fresh start of our own making, that it will not be a fresh start of pure determination. You see, too many people attempt to do God's work out of pure determination. My heart prayer is that we can have collectively as well as individually a fresh start that is born in a renewed, fresh sense of God's Holy Spirit working in us. Boy, how long has it been since you had that kind of encounter, an encounter that released you and freed you and charted your course and made you ready to do big things for God 
Folks, that's my prayer for us in 2015, that God is charting our course, sending His Spirit, giving us a fresh start, that we can be freed and released and ready to complete His assignment up for us, to fulfill His will for us, to reach people, to teach people, to disciple people about how to follow Christ. Now, how do we do this? Well, already on the screen in last week, I've challenged us that when we have a need, pray first. And I'm just going to say this to you. I'm not talking about the now lay me down to sleep. The God is great. God is good. I'm not talking about those shallow prayers, which I could argue whether they're really prayer or not or more of a tradition. I'm talking about a prayer where that it is deep, that it is passionate, passionate, that it's emotional, that it's trying to literally touch the face of God. Since I've called us to pray first, let's pause right now and let me pray for us. Would you bow? Heavenly Father, more than anything else, we need a fresh touch from you. For those of us in this room who found ourselves stuck spiritually, we love you. We want to do your will, but but in our hearts we really know that we're not moving forward for you. We pray that you will, in your graciousness and your goodness, that you would let us sense your sweet spirit coming in and working in our lives and using the powerful winch that comes from Calvary's cross to pull us out of the mud, muck, and mire and put our feet on solid ground and give us a renewed heart, a a joyful spirit that once again we can walk with you, that we can be your people, that we can reach out to those folks who so desperately need you. Lord, I pray that you'll do a mighty work even in this service. Amen. How can we, we can pray, but then we're faced with who can we learn from? Who in the Bible can teach us about this thing of praying first and having a life direction change? If you will, take your Bibles. You didn't think I was going to get there and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now, let me, just, let me just offer you a free piece of advice if you'd like it. You didn't ask for it, so I'm going to give it to you anyway, Sam. If, you, if you're trying to sleep at night and you find yourself with insomnia, here's what do. Take your Bible. If you want to go to sleep, if you're an average person, if you want to go to sleep, take your Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and begin to read. In fact, you can read from chapter 1 to chapter 9, and you know what it is? Genealogies. So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so fathered so-and-so, ad infinitum. It just goes on on and on forever. Probably over 500 people are listed there. And by the way, if you're one of those guys who likes genealogies, it'll fire you up. But if you're like most normal people, chances are you'll be asleep in no time, all right? In fact, this is so much, this is so much 
genealogy that you can pass right by someone who can teach us about what we're talking today. That man's name is Jabez. Jabez. Lessons from Jabez. First Chronicles chapter 4. I want, to walk, I want to read these two verses, and then we're just going to walk through it and take a look at Jabez and see what lessons he can teach us today. If you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word, because this man is a man who prayed first. Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the name of the Lord, of, uh, upon the God of Israel, saying, Can you hear this prayer? Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me. And that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. Now, I'm going to pause there to say some translations say this. Keep me from harm so that I may not cause others pain. But the payoff is that last line. And God granted what he asked. Father, take these words in the minutes that remain and illumine our hearts with your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And we want to learn from Jabez about how to pray first, how to have a fresh start, how to make an impact, how to be different. Isn't it interesting that Jabez was just the guy that, that received a little extra text all these names. So let's just walk it down. If you're, if you're following, we're just going to make it very simple. Let's look, first of all, about the person, his, the person of Jabez. Person of Jabez. Now, you like it or not, everything that we know about Jabez is found in verses 9 and 10. That's it. And, and yet we discover that we know some things that don't, are not really important. We know that he was of the tribe of Judah. We know that he probably lived in southern Israel, if you look in context. And we know that this time frame was after Joshua led the children of Israel to, to, uh, to take the land of promise. So those are a few things we know that may, may or may not be important. But here's something that's, know, that's important, his name. His name is important. Look at this. That name tells us a little bit more than we probably, he probably wants us to know. His mother called him Jabez because I bore him in pain. Now listen, Jabez means pain. He named, she named her child for crying out loud, pain. And all the women are just smiling and say, I had two or three that I could have done that to. I mean, I... I was thinking about this, and I told, by the way, for those who are friends with my daughter, Christy, uh, I told her I was going to say this so you don't have to go tell on me. When Christy was about two or three years old, we were playing around in the living room one day, and she was really getting on my nerves, if you don't know the truth. And finally, I looked at her, and I said, Christy, you're a pain. And without blinking, she snapped that little brunette head around. She said, yeah, Daddy, but I sweet pain. 
And in case you don't know where Piper gets it, the nut don't fall far from the tree. You see, the truth is, that was a fun episode, but the truth is, is that for Jabez, it was not, it was not just an event. It was a lifetime. Every time he woke up, every time somebody called his name, every time anything happened and they said Jabez, he was reminded of pain. He was reminded of sorrow. You know what it reminds me of, all you old people? It reminds me of the song Johnny Cash wrote many years ago, A Boy Named Sue. Now, don't go listen to that if you've not heard that because it has some foul language in it. But here's the deal. The daddy named his boy Sue, and he left home and split the marriage up. And, and years later, Sue, the boy, and his dad met up, and they had this big fight. And then his dad laid this out. This is what his dad said. He said, son, this world's rough. And if you're going to make it, you've got to be tough. And I knew I wouldn't be there to help you along, so I gave you that name, and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die, and it's the name that helped to make you strong. You know, names mean something, particularly in Bible days. I I remind you that the name Jacob means the grabber because when he was born coming out of the womb, he literally was trying to grab the heel of Esau and spend his life grabbing. Solomon means peace, and he was allowed to rule uh, during a time of peace. Jehovah, uh, Jesus means Jehovah saves. Names mean something. Mom gave Jabez this name because she wanted everybody to know how difficult this was. Either, <laughs> I got to thinking about this, and I go back to our family right now. You remember me telling you about how Active Aspen was in Christie's womb, and she was just hurting all the time. So either Jabez was active and kicking and playing soccer in the womb and causing her pain, or either maybe he was breached birth, or maybe there was some problem in the birth, or somebody even suggested that perhaps Dad uh, left home and there was pain because when she, when she bore Jabez, there was no help. But it doesn't matter where the pain came from, here's what I get from this. She didn't want him to forget. It may have just been varicose things in the back of her legs. We don't know. But we know that she wanted him to remember. Now, watch Jabez. He could have done a couple of things. Jabez could have copped a bad attitude. He could have gone off the deep end. He could have suffered with a self-image issue. He could have turned his back on God and good. But what did he do? Move from his name to his nature. Bible says, verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. In other words, Jabez, the man Jabez was more praiseworthy and all these other remember 500 was listed in the genealogies and it's just this one guy that God thought enough of to get the writer to inspire the writer to write just a few parenthetical phrases about what he did and and what he said and 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 how he prayed it's almost like Job when God was bragging on Job how does Jabez raise this kind of coverage from our Father. So let's move from the person, here's how we find it, to the prayer, his prayer. 
You know, when I, when I read this prayer, I'm always moved. Here it is. Oh, oh, that you would bless me. Oh, that you would enlarge my borders. Oh, that your hand would be with me. Oh, that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain and I might not bring others pain. Many of you know that Bruce Wilkinson years ago wrote a book entitled The Prayer of Jabez. And in the aftermath of that prayer, literally hundreds of thousands of people have said that they pray this prayer every day. I want to tell you, if you do or if you don't write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline this prayer, to mark it in your Bible and to pray it. Because we learn from this prayer the power of prayer and how Jabez turned pain into blessing. Let me just share three things very quickly with you. First of all, see his mood. See his mood. This is his emotion. I need to tell you, I am one of those weirdos that are, that's a Baptist. And I think we made a mistake back in the 70s when we started extracting emotion from our worship and our belief system because somebody stole the word charismatic. By the way, charismatic doesn't mean speaking in tongues. We've allowed it to mean that, but that's not what it means. Charismatic is charis, grace, gifts. Grace, gifts. you full of grace, you're charismatic. Doesn't mean you speak in tongues, but we've let, that's another sermon for another time. But here's the truth. When the charismatic movement kicked off in the 70s, I remember it well, that we would hear from the pulpits. We would hear from Sunday school teachers. We don't need any emotion in our belief system. And here's what I'll tell you. First of all, is that I don't know anybody in the Scripture who came face-to-face with Jehovah God and didn't have some kind of emotion. It was either sorrow, it was happiness, it was praise, it was worship, it was fear. Now, I understand for those theologues that go, Brother Jerry, you're trying to lead us down the wrong road. Now, I understand Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But your mind follows your heart. I also know that it is with the heart you believe. I also know that you will get a new heart. I know that, it, that with, the, with the heart... Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I understand that, that the heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Your treasure exposes what your heart is. And, and the center of our belief is the heart, that emotion center. Emotional walk with the Lord is not bad. Now, if that's all you got, then you got a problem. But it begins in the heart. And when I, when I read this scripture, I'm thinking about his emotion with a, how he starts with, oh, and you heard me add the oh to everything. It speaks of, it speaks of his demeanor. It speaks of his emotion. Oh, Lord, I beg you. I plead with you. I need you. Please, Lord, hear my prayer. Have you ever been like that with God? Has it ever been so deep that you just had to be hurt? Here's the deal. We don't get that way unless we got a mate that's about to die or sick. We don't get that way unless we got a child that's sick. We don't get that way unless somebody's going to pass in into the next world. We don't get that way until something tragic happens. But may I say this to you? We need that kind of passion. We need that kind of emotion that, that he showed here. Just to find God's will, just to seek God's face, you will find me only when you seek me with part of your heart. Is that what it says? All of your heart. From the bottom of your soul. The problem is, 
Let's just be honest. I'm not trying to be mean. We are too rich. We are too self-satisfied. We are too prideful to get on our face and say, Lord, without your help, I'm done for. Oh, Lord, hear my plea. Our emotion and our belief system is normally regulated by how deep our need is, or we perceive our need is. Can I ask you a question? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you felt so deeply about a spiritual need that it began with, oh, God? And compare that to your kids. When your kids come to you in deep emotion, whether you grant their request or not, you hear them, you console them, and you help them. See his mood. Second thing, see his message. What is the real message of this thing? As, as we see Jabez request, his message to God is he asked God to send basically <coughs> provision. He sent his presence and send his protection. He begins by asking for a blessing. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking for a bless, God's blessing if you know what a blessing is. Most of the time, we really don't know what a blessing is. Well, I mean, we, we ask a blessing on missionaries, which is good. We ask mes- blessings on our kids. That's good. We ask blessing over the food. We even, <laughs> even when we sneeze, what do we say? Bless you. But the real meaning of the word blessing is something beyond what we perceive it to be. The biblical sense is when you ask God to bless you, that bless is something you've asked him to impart on you, to give you that is a supernatural favor. You see, when we ask God to bless us, we're not asking him to give something to us that we can get ourselves. We are rather asking him to give us something that only he can give us something that's beyond our imagination, something beyond all that we know to think and ask. But I want to bring this to you, those who are about to go out and ask God for a Lincoln Continental. Here's what I want to tell you. Jabez did not ask God for something particular. He did not tell God what that blessing was. He left that to God because he knew that whatever God gave would be better than what he needed to ask for. You see, Jabez asked for God to bless him, but he also asked God to expand his borders. Now, we'll get to that in just a second, to to enlarge his territory. But, you know, without taking a breath, when he asked God to enlarge his territory, without taking a breath, he asked God to be present in his life. Because he knew if God was present in his life, that his little life could not contain the full blessing of God. Did you know that? Do you realize that if God poured out his blessing on this church and on your life, that your life and this church could not contain the blessing of God? Oh, God, bless me. Enlarge our borders. Now, why to enlarge borders? We're going to get to that in just a second. But, Lord, more than anything else, I want your presence with me. When God is present, the sky is the limit. Mm. That brings us to the last, what motivated him. What did, why did he want to know? Why did he want God to enlarge his borders? I just want to say something about motivation. 
I never cease to be amazed at the number of people who believe that they can hide their motivation. Oh, you may hide it for a little bit. But they, nobody may ever tell you, but they know exactly what the motivation is. And you don't have to watch people very long to understand their motivation. What becomes clear to us as we read this prayer is that Jabez's motivation for asking God to bless him, asking God to give him more ground, ask, to ask God to be present with him, was he wanted to be a blessing to other people. It wasn't a selfish request. When we pray, when we pray first, we, uh, we need to inspect our motivation. If we want God's hand on our lives so everybody can see what great work God's doing to us and in us, we have forgotten the most important part. If God puts his hand on your life, my life, this church's life, the greatest thing that people can do is see God's hand working through us. That's what, that's what Jabed wanted. Jabez wanted. You look, you look at that last part of that message and you read that you might keep me from harm so it may not bring me pain. I'll just say this to you. Like it or not, if you're a person in pain, chances are you're going to cause pain. I'll say that again. It didn't register. If you're a person in pain, you're a person that's going to cause pain. Because you see... You see, the, the truth is, is that when you get to Jabez, every time he heard his name all his life, it came out sorrow, it came out pain. And he didn't want to give that to other people. He was living with it. And his prayer was motivated to help other people. Folks, when we pray first, when we pray first, if we really want to get the ear of God... We, our motivation needs to be to help people. Look around our community. Oh, Brother Jerry, we got a good community. Try a scanner. Hello? Try a scanner. If you think our police department don't earn their keep, try a scanner. By the way, top guy in our country is now talking about wanting to disarm the police. Have we ever heard of any insanity worse than that in our life? You say we have a we we have a good community. Well, again, this is the third Sunday in the morning. I'm going to challenge you. Walk out of this building and walk down the road and see how many people have no connection to God, little connection to any church. We are a community that's walking in darkness, and God has placed us here to be the light in the darkness. And when we catch the vision of touching those instead of pampering these. God may choose to open up the doors of heaven. Wow. Well, Jabez is our example. You see his person, his name and his nature. You see his prayer, the mood, message, and motivation. But here's the payoff. Watch this. See his prosperity. And his prosperity is prosperity I want all the time. Watch this. That last sentence says, And God granted what he asked. Hmm. It's against the backdrop of saying, Lord, bless me. Lord, enlarge my borders. Lord, be with me. Lord, 
keep me from harm. So I won't experience pain. So I won't become a person who walks in pain. So I won't cause pain. And the, and the reason I don't want to cause pain is because that impacts somebody else. Lord, help me be your person. And because his motivation was so right on, God answered his prayer. Gave him exactly what he requested. Can I ask you a question? How long has it been since God has answered your prayer and given you exactly what you requested? If he did give you exactly what you requested, what would you have? Now, in order to get that, don't miss the chain of events first. Watch this. Jabez was an honorable man. That means he was authentic. That means he was a godly man. It speaks to his relationship with God. That's your first start. That is everybody in this room's first start is your relationship to God through Jesus. Some of us here have never really trusted Jesus. I had lunch on Thursday with Donnie Barger, and he and I were talking about the number of people that have based their salvation on the wrong thing. There has been no life change. There, ha, there, ha, there has been no walk with God. There, there, there has been no growth. There has been no spiritual maturity. They just basically pray to prayer. They're basing their salvation just on that prayer, and then they do what they want to. And we sat there kind of commiserating of how many people who sat in the pews are going to be lost one day. When the world comes to an end and when we stand before our, our Lord, you see, you see the starting place is a relationship with Jesus that is real, that is personal, that is daily, that is ongoing. Jabez was an honorable man because he had met God. Jabez, the second thing, he paid, prays a prayer for personal gain only so that he could share it, only so that he could touch other people with it. Bruce Wilkinson points out that if you want to be honorable in God's eyes, that if you want to be considered more honorable, you can't do it through arrogance or self-centeredness. The way is to live out and to walk in the Spirit of God. And finally, this honorable man, not only was he more honorable, not only did he pray that prayer, but finally this honorable man who prayed first was the recipient of God's blessing of everything he asked. Mm. If God did grant your request, I want to. I want you to just consider this. If God granted your your deepest request, would He give you something that doesn't last? Would He give you something on this earth? You know, think about it. Most of us value our families over everything. Well, we should value our families, but not over our relationship to the Lord. Because let me, let me just make everybody mad at me. My mom's going on to heaven. One day I'll die and I'll see her again, but she won't be mom. She'll be a sister in Christ. My papa, my mama, I, I can go down the list. I got a lot of people in heaven. Probably got more friends in heaven than I have here. I'll see them in heaven, but they won't be mom and dad. They won't be... Memo and Papa, they won't be my, my blood sister from earth because when the earth passed away, all the temporal things passed away. It's only your blood family that's blood by the Lamb of God. Redeemed. I am redeemed. It's only the redeemed. 
If you ask God for something right now, would, he, would it be something temporal or would it be something of eternal value? I think as Bill Gaither said, I wrote the words, I'm willing to give things that I cannot keep for what I cannot lose. What, but what Jabez did know and offers to us today was that he had to get God's hand on his life. He had to get God's blessing on his life. And the reason he had to do this, are you listening, teenagers? He had to get God's hand and blessing so he could enjoy life. So this pain that his mother hung on him wouldn't stay with him. Now, I ask you this morning, do you sense God's hand on your life? Do you sense God leading you every day? Jabez went from being a person of sorrowful pain to a person of spiritual prosperity through this thing of prayer. Have you made that transition yet? By the way, there is one more thing I want to offer you this morning. I'm going to give you a twist. Jabez has taught us much. The name Jabez is um, mentioned one more time in Scripture, but it's not about the man. If you turn back, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 55, it says, The clans also of the scribes who lived at Jabez. I want to conclude just with you thinking about the place called Jabez. If Jabez means pain, if Jabez means sorrow, and we find in our scripture that some of the scribes live there, how interesting. I ask you today, are you living at Jabez? I mean, worse than having the name, could be, li- could be living, residing in that place of pain. If you reside there today and you would like to pack up and leave from that place of pain, Jesus is your answer. Let's pray together.